0: Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Today's guest is Christina Bruce. Christina is an integrative life coach, yoga teacher, and is trained in the body trust framework through Be Nourished. During this episode, we talk about breaking free from dieting, and together, we challenge a very common eating disorder thought, which is, if I gain weight, nobody will love me. If you've struggled with this thought in the past, either consciously or unconsciously, I'm sure you'll find this episode to be eye-opening and supportive for your healing. With that, I hope you enjoy this episode of Full and Thriving. I am sure you are going to love it. Hi, Christina. How are you today? Hello. I'm doing well today. Thank you. You're so welcome. I'm so grateful to have you on the show, and I'm really excited to dive in with you. And one thing that I'm really excited about is that you're actually a coach which is something different. I usually have dietitians or therapists or doctors on the show, but I don't have life coaches on the show. So before we dive into that, could you please explain to me a little bit about what you do as far, because you're an integrative life coach and what does that look like for you every day?
1: Yeah. So the integrative life coaching is the actual kind of modality of life coach training that I did. And that was through the Ford Institute several years ago. I don't need to really get into the details of that, but I basically take that life coach training and use it in my body acceptance coaching. So that's kind of what I call myself is a body acceptance coach coach. And essentially I like to work with women, particularly because that is my lived experience and what I have, you know, I'm the closest to the experience of being a woman in this world and all that comes with that with body image and expectations in society and so i work with women who have a long history of dieting and weight suppression or also women who have a history with eating disorders but have been in relatively stable level of recovery for a bit and really start to dig into now how can you know we just feel comfortable and feel good in our bodies as they are and start to dig into the different body image issues that we have or the way that we start to see our bodies, the way that we think others see our bodies and really just start to come to a place of acceptance and peace with that. And then when we come to that place of acceptance and peace, I find we're able then to start to care for our bodies and live the way that we actually want to
0: live without the body getting in the way. I really love that natural progression you've noted there, which is once you can reach body acceptance, which is a lot of work, you have this freedom to live the life you truly want without being hyper-focused on your body and letting that intrude into your joy and your presence on the earth. So I think that's really nice.
1: Yeah. And with coaching, it's really more about kind of forward-looking. You know, it's really getting in touch with yourself and what you really want in your life, what is important to you, and then just looking at, okay, well, what's getting in the way of me actually just living that and doing that? And so the insecurities that we have with our body or the issues that we've had is often the thing that is the big thing that's getting in the way or that ends up taking over so much of our lives. That we're not really living what our heart's desire is. So, when I work with clients privately, you know, the first thing I do is go through a life visioning exercise. And we actually look at the eight kind of major areas of life. And I bring clients through this visioning process to really connect with and get in touch with what it is that's important to them and what it is that matters to them and how they see themselves living that. And so when that's established, then we just kind of start to move forward in implementing some of that. And with that, it's like, oh, then what comes up in between me trying to do this? And then, you know, the body image stuff will come up because the body image stuff ends up coloring really all different areas of our lives. And when we have had an eating disorder or weight suppression or fixation has been such a big part of your life, when you have done work to heal that, there can be a really big emptiness and kind of this gap of like, well, now what do I do? Because Mm -hmm. the goal and really the purpose, so much of the goal and purpose of our lives has been about managing and controlling the body. And so when that's healed, if we're not connected to what it is that really matters to us in our heart, it can feel like this scary kind of emptiness. And so that's why I find it really important to set that foundation with the life visioning exercise. So that's really kind of how I bring life coaching into the body acceptance piece and sort of how they marry into each other, because I really just see the issues with the body is again, just being the thing that ends up getting in the way from living our life. Because I really truly believe none of us are here on this earth with the main priority and goal is to just constantly be controlling and managing our food and
0: body. Mm -hmm. I totally see that in my clients day to day too. And also I'm thinking of a lot of my friends as you're talking, which is those who are really stuck on, maybe body hatred or body dissatisfaction, it's really hard for them to thrive in other areas of life, usually because there's so much work with body acceptance and self-acceptance that needs to be done. So my question for you is, does this mirror your previous experience with body acceptance? Did you find that was what you experienced as well? Well, yes, (laughs) it's my
1: path and my journey, which is really what led me to be coaching in this specific area is because Mm -hmm. it is so close to home. You know, when I was actually trained as a life coach, I didn't really know what I thought I was just going to kind of focus on general life stuff, (laughs) but then (laughs) as I was continuing to do my own healing and recovery with this process. Although I was never diagnosed with an eating disorder, I would say that I was borderline. When I look back at my own behaviors and patterns, it made a lot of sense to me like, Oh, of course, this is what I'm going to be focusing on. You know, this is my own path and, and journey.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I completely relate to that. I actually was certified as a life coach before becoming an eating disorder recovery coach. And because I have my lived experience with an eating disorder, I started leaning into that because I found it was really hard to help people with general life stuff. I kind of liked having a niche. I'm sure that's probably what your experience has been as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this just came up like very naturally. And it's also what I've been very passionate about for a long time. So it's kind of interesting how as much as I was so affected by my own insecurities around my body and my weight... I was also equally as passionate about hating the fact that I was so worried about my body, my weight. I just thought, gosh, like this, I hate that this is what myself and particularly, and of course, I know that this affects many people too, but I really saw a long history pattern of this affecting women mostly. So I really hated seeing this long history of women always being valued first and foremost for their appearance. And so it felt very kind of oppressive to me. And so I hated how I had absorbed this and was fixated on this. So I was like passionate about overcoming it as well. Mm -hmm. And so that really has been a long running theme, I would say, for myself.
0: Yes, I think that's so nice that you were able to see the oppression of your situation of just being oppressed by body standards and sexism and beauty standards and all the things that are placed on women, being able to see that while you're going through that and let that be a motivator for you to get better. Because when I was going through recovery, I was probably in denial by how much I was influenced by those things. I remember thinking, oh, I'm not influenced by the media. I'm an independent thinker. That's just like... Not me at all. And then looking back years later, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I was really drink, like, I don't like the expression drinking the Kool Aid, but I was really just, really obsessed with something because of all the messages I had been absorbing for so long.
1: Yeah. And it happens
0: subconsciously.
1: We don't know that we're imprinted with this. And I see this messaging of, the way that our culture views certain bodies happening even in starting as early as in children's shows like little digs here and there about certain body types and sizes. And so that messaging is starting to seep in at an incredibly impressionable age, like the age before seven, we're literally just sponges absorbing all the world and messaging around us. And so we just think, well, this is how things are. This is fact. You know, This is the world, not knowing how we've been impacted by it. And that also that we can question what we've learned. So yeah, we're just, for the most part, unless it's brought to our attention, we're unaware.
0: Yeah. That was my experience for sure. You mentioned questioning your own thoughts, and that brings me to something I was hoping to talk to you about, which is a tool I know you use in your practice quite often, which is the work by Byron Katie. And when I read that you practice this on your website, I got really excited because it's something I bring up to my clients all the time and we've never actually talked about it on the show before. So I figured you might be someone who could introduce this to the listeners because I think it's an invaluable tool for anyone, whether you're in eating disorder recovery or just trying to heal your own stuff with life. So could you please explain to me how you came across the work by Byron Katie and exactly what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
1: I actually really remember this very distinctly. <laughs> I had picked up her very first book that's called Loving What Is, mm-hmm. and I had bought it. I don't remember how I came across it. And this was years ago. And I remember I'd started reading it and I read maybe like the first chapter and I thought, okay, I, I get it, but like, not really. And I was like, but I just didn't care. I was not really interested in it. So I closed the book, put it back on my bookshelf and it sat there for, I really don't know how long. It had to have been a few years. And then one day I was actually going through a breakup and... <laughs> I was feeling really down and I remember very distinctly, it was in the nighttime. I just walked over to my bookshelf and I just was looking at my bookshelf and I pulled the Loving What Is off and I said, oh, well, why don't I just give this a chance again? And this time I opened it up, (laughs) I started reading (laughs) and it was like an explosion went off and I was like, oh my God, (laughs) this is the answer to all my problems. (laughs) I was like, this is the root of my suffering. And I was just completely blown away by it, completely obsessed over it, finished the book. And I said, I need to know more about this. I need to do more. Funny, because whenever, you know, I'm going through something like that, I tend to want to go on retreat or do something to help facilitate mm-hmm. a change like this. And I had actually been looking to go on a retreat and I was contemplating a yoga retreat. Um, I wasn't sure where I wanted to go, but as soon as I read this book, I said, I need to find out more. So I went on to the website, to the work.com. And at the time I saw that they had this kind of their... Signature workshop, which is called the Nine Day School for the Work. It's called the School for the Work and it's nine days. And I said, This is exactly what I need. So I immediately signed up and got my ticket to go to California and attend this retreat. And so that's what I did. I spent nine days really immersed from morning to night. With Byron Katie, uh, with other people, you know, learning about the work and doing the work, and that literally, I, I say there's not really many things I could ever say changed my life. Like you know, you always hear people say this changed my life, and I was like, I want a moment like that, <laughs> you know, and yes. and that was that moment. Like the work literally changed my life because it had such a profound shift in the way that. I interacted with my mind the way that I saw other people and other things. It certainly hasn't been a panacea. It's not to say I still don't get caught in parts of my mind because I absolutely do. But for the most part, is I had this level of awareness now that I didn't have before. And that really shifted my relationship to everything, my emotions, my experience, like I said, other people. So what the work is, essentially, it's just a tool of self-inquiry. So Byron Katie talks about this in her book of how she came about it. She ended up having a really extremely deep depression and kind of had I suppose what some people might call an enlightenment experience, people who are maybe spiritual seekers might call it that, but she just had this realization, this very clear realization that she wasn't her thoughts, that her Mm -hmm. thinking, she was separate from her thinking. And we can really understand that because oftentimes I would say our relationship with our thinking is we kind of hear a voice in our head. And so Actually, another really profound teacher, too, which I'll just mention, his name is Michael Singer. He had written a book called The Untethered Soul. And one thing that he always says is, like, if you can witness, if you can hear your thinking, well, then who are you? Because if you were your thinking, you couldn't hear it. You know, so you can't be your Mm -hmm. thinking if you can actually hear it. And so that's what Byron Katie experienced. And through her process, she just kind of naturally tool evolved to question, as she would say, question the thoughts that cause you suffering, question the thoughts that cause you stress. And so essentially what it is, it's a series of four questions and then what she calls turnarounds. And it's really... A meditative process, I find. Some people like, and I'll go through in a minute, but I just want to kind of mention this one thing. Some people liken it to cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. They'll say, Isn't this like CBT? And I'll say, I'm not an expert in CBT, but what I can see that's different about it and why I like the work so much is that this isn't a process where you're trying to force yourself to believe anything different than you do. This isn't trying to make yourself now think something else because Byron Katie would likely say that's attacking of yourself, or that's almost kind of being like violent towards yourself because it's saying you got to think something different. It's not, that's not very loving. So Mm. instead, it's really taking an honest and genuine look and meditation on the thought and the legitimacy of it, essentially. So it starts out by taking a thought, like taking a belief, as she would say, and questioning it. So you would ask, I don't know, maybe we could use an example, like what would be a belief or a thought that you think would be very common amongst say, mm. people you work with?
0: I have one right away. <laughs> so this one, I'm sure your clients would suffer from too, which is If I gain weight, then nobody will love me.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: right. That's a big one.
1: So (laughs) the very, (laughs) yeah. So the very first question well, what Byron Kate would have us do, and this is what really how we would do this process is, it can be helpful sometimes to anchor ourselves into a moment when we've had that thought. So sometimes it can be really helpful to like visualize, was there a situation where this came up? Maybe was I on a dating website and I was about to like put my picture up and all of a sudden I had this thought, like if I gain weight, nobody will me, you know, where did that happen? And you can kind of anchor yourself in that moment. So you can sit in a situation and then contemplate, like put yourself back there. I often have people, you know, close your eyes. Imagine like you're going back there and it's like, okay, this thought came up. That if I gain weight, people won't love me. And then the first thing you just do is you ask yourself, is it true? Is it true that if I gain weight, people don't love me? And what you do then is you really honestly answer what you believed in that moment. And even if it's right now, like, let's just say it's like right now I have this thought. What's honest for you? Do you really believe that? Well, if you do, then the answer is yes yes, it's true. That's what I believe. But maybe you might say, well, actually, I can't know for sure if it's true. So then your answer is no. So it's just yes or no. Now, -hmm. if you say yes to that first question, then you go to question two. And it's, can I absolutely know that it's true, that if I gain weight, people won't love me. And you sit with that. You really just sit with that. And again, you're not trying to force yourself, but you just say, can I absolutely know it's true? And the answer to that question is either yes or no. So maybe you really think, yeah, I absolutely know that it's true. Okay. So then the answer for you is yes. But maybe you might say, well, I don't know. I can't absolutely know it's true. So then the answer for you is no. And that's what you do for the first two questions. Then you move into question three. And this is where, again, we like to sit with some contemplation to really kind of like feel into this. And you ask yourself, okay, so what happens? How do I react when I have this thought that if I gain weight, nobody will love me? And that's where sitting in a specific situation can be helpful because let's maybe use the example of like being on a dating site. So now you want to look at what do I do? You know, what happens to me in this moment when I have this thought? So if I'm on a dating website and I have this thought, so first you want to, we can look at like what emotions come up for you. What do you feel? Like I can say, if I have this, I'm going to even just going to go through it myself. It's like, I kind of have this sinking feeling in my stomach. I feel like a tightness in my chest. I feel sad. You know, I feel afraid. And then you kind of notice like what physical, can we feel something physically in our body? Then do we notice any emotions that are coming up? And then we might look at and say, what images come into my mind? Mm -hmm. Because I can immediately start to see like this future where I'm alone or I'm on these dates and people now like leave because I've gained weight and they don't love me. Like they leave and and now I'm I'm alone and I'm with all my cats or whatever it might be. You know, (laughs) like these worst case scenario, like that's what happens. Like we want to get still and slow down because these images happen really fast in those Mm -hmm. moments. So that's why we sit, we contemplate what happens. How do I react? Okay, so do we have examples maybe from the past? You know, maybe we had an example where like, Somebody we liked decided not to be with us because we were bigger or they picked our friend who was smaller. And so we made it mean that I wasn't good enough. So we really start to look at like what goes on and then we look at, okay, so what do I do? Like if I'm on this dating website, then do I decide maybe I'm not going to message anybody? So now I don't message anybody or do I decide I'm only going to message maybe people that I'm not really that interested in, because I think maybe I have a better chance that they might like me, but I kind of don't really want to do that, but I'm going to do that because I think this is all that I, you know, even though I really want to message this other person. Right. Mm -hmm. So we kind of look at like, what are the actions that that we're taking? We Might Mm -hmm. even want to look at like, what do we start saying to ourselves? How are we talking to ourselves? Are we beating ourselves up? Are we saying like, you're not good enough? Like, you know, what's the self-talk? So, so much happens in this small moment. And so we slow down and we contemplate, we kind of look at these different aspects. How do I react? What happens when I believe this thought? Mm. It's a lot for this one, right? But it's really important to like give ourselves this moment to really investigate and explore what's happening. We have to give our mind the chance to speak its voice and to tell us what's going on, too. Like, what's
0: going on? Yeah. I love that it's the chance to slow down. I think that's something that I haven't thought of it like. I've done it so, I've run myself through the questions so many times that I forget that when you slow down, and really sink into the moment and use a specific moment, you can see the butterfly effect that that one thought has and all the suffering that follows it. So I love that you were able to articulate this.
1: Yes. It really is like a meditation. It's very easy to do the work intellectually. It's very easy Mm -hmm. to kind of just run through it and stay in the mind, but this is a deeper process. We go within, in this process, we sit with it. We don't try to force the answers. We witness what actually is the reality of what our experience is in this moment. And then once we feel like we've kind of exhausted it, you know, sometimes we have a lot that's going on in question three, you know, it's like exhausted, like really look at all the different areas. And then also too can be like, are there any addictions that come up? Do I now run back to restrictive eating? Do Mm -hmm. I start planning my next diet? Like, do I go out and exercise? You know, noticing that can be a trigger for those things. So we look at how do I react what happens? All right. That was a lot for that one. And then we move on to question four. And this one can be a little trickier. It still requires though the same level of stillness, even maybe a little bit more. Mm. And so that's why again it can be helpful to anchor in this situation. So let's use the example of being on a dating site, sitting in front of your computer, and then you ask yourself, okay, who would I be in this moment without the thought that if I gain weight, nobody will love me? So mm. imagine. This thought never entered your mind. It didn't happen. Whoa, never came across. Now that, it can be hard. A lot of people say it's true. When it's strong, it's hard to think about what it would be without it. But I say, just try it. This is, you're not like, you can keep the thought as soon as we're done this exercise, but let's just, you don't need to get rid of this thought. It is yours if you want it. (laughs) Like, just hypothetically imagine. You didn't have this thought. And so again, you know, you close your eyes and you imagine yourself there and it's like, okay, I never have this thought. Well, I mean, if I'm going to just go through the process myself, it's like, well, I feel all of a sudden, if I'm kind of even using the example, I feel lighter. Like I feel this more energetic openness in my body before I yeah. felt very constricted. I feel like I can breathe again. <sighs> I don't have this thought. Okay. Emotionally, I feel a little bit excited. Like now I'm noticing, I'm feeling possibility. Like I'm on a dating website. Like who might I talk to? So I'm feeling excited. I noticed that. So, you know, who would I be? I noticed that I'm more engaged. I'm caring about what I'm looking for. Like I'm focused now on what matters to me in a person. So Mm -hmm. I'm looking at these different people and these qualities. I probably am going to message somebody, you know, like, It's a very different experience without the thought. So we just really sit in that and look, just look, same situation. Nothing has changed. The only thing we're looking at, what is the difference with the thought without the thought? Mm. So it's kind of like phase one of the work. (laughs) And so when we've done that process and we felt that that's complete. You know, you really felt like, okay, I've kind of really exhausted all of looking at the different aspects of who would I be without the thought, then we go into what's called the turnarounds. And. It can be a little bit tricky if you're new to the work doing the turnarounds, which is why I personally love working with facilitators, like especially experienced or skilled facilitators in this work. If I'm new, I still like working with facilitators because it's great to have somebody kind of hold me in the, in the space of inquiry. But we look at the turnaround. So like, if I gain weight, nobody will love me. So we kind of take this sentence and we start to turn it around. And so an example of a turnaround might be, If I gain weight, somebody will love me. Hmm. You know, that would be kind of an opposite, right? Of like, well, nobody, what might be the opposite of nobody? I I just thought of somebody, or I don't know, anybody. Like, I'm not, maybe not anybody. For me, somebody sounds right. So if I gain weight, somebody will love me, or I will be loved, you know, whatever feels good for that turnaround. And then we sit with this and we see if we can find genuine examples of how this could be as true or truer than the original statement. Mm -hmm. So this is where, again, we're not trying to force ourselves to believe it, but we're really saying, can I have an open mind here? You really need to have an open mind to do this work. Mm -hmm. Where can I find a little bit of wiggle room? So right now I can see, okay, so maybe if it feels like a stretch for me right now to think that it's possible for somebody to love me, even if I gain weight, can I find an example in my life of where I know people who are bigger than me, who are in loving relationships? Yeah, you know, I'm like, okay, I can, I can find lots of examples of people who are in a bigger body than me and have very loving relationships. So there must be some possibility there that that exists, <laughs> Mm -hmm. So why couldn't that be applicable to me? You know, so there's that one. If I gain weight, somebody will love me. Well, I might look and say, if I'm with somebody, I probably want them to really love me for me. And so there's probably then a chance that somebody's going to love me, not just me for my body size.
0: Mm,
1: Yes. And so I can see how that then can be true, that if I gain weight, somebody will love me. You know, so we start to see how we can find these genuine examples. Mm -hmm. So we then go through this and see if we can find other turnarounds. Now this one, some of them take a little bit of a stretch, but let's look at another one. So this one could say, we could look at, If I lose weight, then nobody will love me. Mm, So you're going to the opposite. Yeah. So let's look at the opposite of this first part. If I lose weight, nobody will love me. Okay. So we want to be careful when we're doing these turnarounds that the point of the turnarounds is to find balance. So what ends up happening is we're off balance when we're really believing a thought that causes us a lot of stress or suffering. We know we're in balance is when we start to find more relief or some peace. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for that. If we take a turnaround now and we start to feel stress again, then that, you know, like, so, cause you could easily say, well, if I lose weight, nobody will love me. We can make that mean something else stressful about ourselves. Right. So then it's yeah. our signal. Oh, oh, we've gone too far. Let's come back. So it's not saying that that's now our new fact, We're just looking at examples of how the opposite of what we thought was true could also be as true. So I might look at this and say, well, once again, like I've had experiences where I've been thin and not been in a relationship. So it certainly doesn't automatically mean that if I'm in a smaller body, I'm going to automatically find love, right? So that doesn't mean that. Again, do I have examples of other people I know who are smaller than me, who maybe aren't in loving relationships or have struggled with relationships? Mm -hmm. I often think of like (laughs) celebrities or models who've been like cheated on or like, you know, have had divorces. To use the example, that is not the thing that secures you a loving relationship forever. Your body size isn't some shield or protection or seal of approval that says yes, I'm forever now going to be in a loving relationship because we see that that's just not true. We
0: mm-hmm. see
1: lots of examples of how people who have smaller body sizes lose loving relationships as well or never marry or I mean not to say that that's the the goal, but if that's what you want, you know. So we have mm-hmm. to look at the reality of things. We just have to look, is it really true? You know, mm-hmm. what is the reality? Because we've made it mean really that we've truly believed that if I gain weight, I won't find level. We have to look at what the truth is. Right. And the truth is, is that we have examples of that not being the case.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Can I interject? Yeah. One thing I'm thinking of, because my audience, they're all recovering from an eating disorder. The opposite experience Of this, if I gain weight, nobody will love me scenario. Many of them lose weight and then isolate themselves because eating disorders are so isolating. So, if you reflect slowly in your real lived experience, the quality of your relationships has diminished or potentially disappeared, and your likelihood to find love has decreased because you're just avoiding social situations. You're avoiding anywhere that where there's food. So maybe you're not even going on dates. So I just wanted to highlight that because my brain was going in that direction when you were sharing your examples. And so that is a beautiful example of that turnaround that you
1: just shared. That is absolutely an example of how, if I lose weight, nobody will love me. Mm-hmm. because I'm not out there. Nobody sees me, right? I'm literally isolated. So I literally don't get to actually like be available for people to find a date, <laughs> but they don't get to see me or know me because I'm so inward and isolated and shutting myself off.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: like, that is a beautiful example. Mm. So, I mean, we can spend so much time doing this, but I'm going to do one more turnaround that I think is really important to highlight. Another turnaround that we can do to this is if I gain weight, I won't love me. Mm. And so we look at the turnaround to the self. So how is that true that actually what's happening is maybe we're having this judgment to ourselves? We're, we think it's other people who won't, but where are we not loving ourselves? Mm. To just, again, not, and then noticing not to beat ourselves up for that, because it can be very easy to do, but to just, again, look at the truth and the reality of what's happening. You know, we often project onto other people what's really going on within ourselves and what we're doing to ourselves. So, If I gain weight, I won't love myself. And that's really what's happening is that I'm seeing that I'm not giving myself that love. And Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking now other people won't love me because that's my experience because I'm not loving me.
0: Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. again, looking at the different aspects. It's such a powerful example. And to be able to see kind of the core of it too, if you replace the words other people with myself, right? I won't love me. That's such a striking aha moment to have. And the hope is that you can really process that and work to a place where you can heal that. Wow. Well, Christina, this has been a lovely conversation. The time has flown by, but I really do believe that this episode is going to provide some relief to those listening, because I know that the majority of listeners probably struggle with this thought. So I'm actually so excited about this. And I want to say thank you so much for joining me. And I appreciate everything. What do you recommend for people if they want to learn more about this? The most easiest start point for this is, I think, to read the book,
1: Loving What Is. That's a great start point. And I know that she just came out with a new edition of it with more examples in the book. So I think it's a great place to start. And then, you know, if it's something that resonates, because again, I always use the example, like it took me years before I was like open to where this actually clicked with me, right? If it resonates, then I think it's great to work when you're starting out to work with somebody who's experienced with it. So there are many like certified facilitators of the work on thework.com. You can look up certified facilitators there. Again, like certainly with myself, I have years of experience of doing workshops and courses with the work. So if you're looking for somebody who also then has this lens to it, um, you know, I use this with my private coaching clients as well. The work is free to do, you know, as we just did it now. And I just find that when we're new to it, it can be really helpful to be held in the space with somebody who's had a lot of experience with it. So that's where I'd recommend people start. I love that. And where can the listeners find you? Certainly at my website, christinabruce.com. Also, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. Well, thank you,
0: Christina. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome.